0: Nation, welcome to episode 98 of Mr. Benfica as we keep inching our way closer and closer to episode 100. I am your host tonight, as always, the Mr. Mike Agostinho, and uh, today we got a couple of matches to talk about. We have quite a bit to talk about, actually. Uh, As you can probably tell, I have fallen behind a little bit in my match reviews. Uh, A lot going on in in my world right now, as I've said uh, in the past, and those of you who have been following me since uh, the beginning, you'll know that the month of December comes, and I kind of go off the map because... My work schedule goes goes into outer space. It literally goes crazy. Um, it, it, this sounds crazy, but because I have two jobs, I work a total of about 90 hours a week in the month of December. Fortunately, it's only for one month. Um, most most months, I work 60 to 70 hours. Um, having two jobs, of course, it's a lot of hours, but it's been a little tough to keep up with the podcast. I've been fortunate. To be able to keep up with the team. However, uh, fortunately, I can watch matches on my phone wherever I am. Um, so. And fortunately, I got DVR to record these matches and watch them whenever I can. But uh, in this episode, we're going to quickly glance over the Portuguese Cup third round victory over Peres. Um There's not much to talk about there. that's really not worth uh, spending much time on. Then we'll get into Liga Nage, round number eight. On the road, a victory come from behind at Maritimu. And then in the main event tonight, in the main event, we're switching it over to the ladies UEFA Women's Champions League. We're going to review Benfica's win at Anderlecht earlier in November. It was a couple of weeks ago, I know, but I'm not going to let it pass. I'm going to make sure we cover this match before they play in their next round. That's right, because the Benfica women's team playing in the Champions League proper now, this Wednesday, 3 p.m. Lisbon time. Uh, That is 10 a.m. here on the east coast of the United States, 7 a.m pacific time check your listings to see if you can have access to that match i believe it will be on btv i'm not positive of it but they have all been up until now um not sure if there are tv rights um blocking that but i am looking forward to that match so i hope i can find it on on wednesday morning for myself here um while, while I work, of course. Uh, <laughs> if you want to hear the women's match review, then go ahead and skip ahead about one hour right now. It is in the second hour, so go ahead if you're just listening for that that review, feel free to skip ahead. If not, we're going to start right now with p- the cup versus Parij. I'm not going to re- really read you any of the the 11 for Parij. I don't think any of us know these guys um and really this Benfica team that played against Paris will probably never play together again uh not this this 11 it's very unlikely but here is what Jorge Jesus rolled out there on the back end of a international break goes with an inc- a complete second choice team as has become custom and uh Jorge rolls out Elton late in goal defense he has Gilberto João Ferreira, Jardel, and Ferro. Jardel and Ferro, obviously, the central defenders. And João Ferreira playing as the left back. Um, he was called in from the B team. In midfield, the tandem of Andreas Samaris and Chiquinho team up with Pizzi and and Franco Chervi also in midfield. And up front, a very unlikely tandem of Gonzalo Ramos and, believe it or not, all this time later, Facundo Chucky Ferreira returns to the 11. The Argentine forward that Benfica had loaned out last season is now uh, without a team and back at Benfica, and he is given a run in this match. And he would play 69 minutes in this match, as would Gonzalo Ramos. Neither one of them really got much accomplished. Um, the match was won. Off a set piece in the 26th minute, a header from Andreas Samaris, booking Benfica's place in the fourth round, which will be coming up this weekend. And I'm checking right now to see if we have an opponent yet. The last time I checked, we did not. Um, we are playing either Sanjones or... Um, apologize for the pause here. We're playing either Sanjones or Frankens. And we don't know yet who it's going to be. I'm assuming they're gonna play this week because the match is scheduled for this Sunday. So we'll see. Um, Let's see if I can let's see if I can get a little more information on. That. And yes, it will be Wednesday December the 9th. It will be Vila franquense hosting San Jo and Villa Francque Cheeta. The winner will play Benfica on Sunday. If I'm not mistaken, at the Stadio Luge, Double check that right now. Also, yes, at the Stadio Luge, Sunday at 8.30, Lisbon time, 3.30 uh, p.m. here in here in Boston or for anyone else in the Eastern time zone here in North America. And so that's where the, the cup stands right now. There's not much else to talk about. Uh, a lot of people unhappy with J.J. For putting out such a second choice lineup. Uh, I had my issues with it too. I thought he went a little too weak. I thought that uh, he should have had a few more seasoned veterans on the bench to call on if needed. He didn't do that. Uh, it, it didn't. It didn't come back to hurt. But you know, Elder Conduto did say um, in in his his coverage on BTV that if you go back about a decade, Benfica have not beaten any of these. Non-professional teams by more than a goal. So every time Befica plays a lower league team, and by lower league, I believe he believes lower than the second division. Non-league, if you will. If we were in the English system, we would call them non-league teams. Every time Befica lines up against a non-league team in the cup, they squeak out a one-goal victory. And that has a lot to do with the team that gets... The players that got put out to play, yeah, I know they've got to play too, but you still got to secure your your passage to the next round. But Benfica got that done. We'll see what kind of team takes the pitch on Sunday uh, against the winner of Vila Franquense and Saint Um So that's that's that match. Let's let's uh, sweep that under the rug. There's not much to talk about because we that's just not a team we're going to see again. All right, so we're going to take a quick break now, and when we come back, we're going to be Getting into the Maritimu match, alright? Um, it'll be on the other side of Reconquista right here, okay? This is. Mr. Benfica. I am the Mr. Mike Augustin. you Follow me on Twitter at Benfica Mr. on Instagram at Mr. Benfica. Follow me on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Mr. Benfica. And of course, check out www.mrbenfica.com. If you want to email me, you can always do that. The Mr. Benfica at gmail.com. And as was said there at, in the announcement at the top of the show, This uh, this podcast now available on a couple new platforms with with a lot of uh you know with a lot of subscribers. So um, if you're an Amazon Prime customer, you can now listen to Mr. Mafika on either Amazon Music or. On Audible, wherever you get your Audible, your audiobooks, uh, you can now download Mr. Benfica there as well uh, under podcasts. And also now available on Radio.com and iHeartRadio. So Mr. Benfica, little by little, getting more and more uh, exposure, getting to more and more people. All right, we'll be right back. All right, here on Mr. Benfica.
1: Yep. A fé que não se explica Carrega bem fica Carrega bem fica a nossa voz O querer de todos nós A fé que não se explica Carrega bem fica Carrega bem fica Houve a nossa voz O querer de todos nós Carrega-me e fica, carrega-me e fica Ouve a nossa voz Que querer de
2: todos nós Que querer de todos nós Manto o sagrado é peso pesado Não o carrega sozinho Em cada esquina um vizinho Sente o carinho Do Algarve até ao Minho O vermelho pinta a Tuga E é isso o teu colinho Conquista do que é nosso por direito Que não vi por fazer o que podia ter sido feito Se a nossa força sabes que estamos contigo Em casa ou fora nós somos o um eterno abrigo Sabes que estamos contigo Nós somos o e, um eterno abrigo
1: nosso
0: and so here we go, we are on Madeira Island, we are at the Estadio dos Barreiros, always a tough place to play, but especially when the pitch is in shambles, it's full of divots, and you have an absolute deluge about to fall. Uh, but at kickoff time, the skies were still, uh, they may not have been clear, but the but the rain was not falling. But that would come later. And we are in round eight of the Liga NOS. It is Maritimo hosting Benfica. Let's go to the lineup, starting with the hosts from Madeira. Maritimo in goal, Charles. They got three across the back, Leo Andrade, René, and Lucas Africa, four in midfield. Four. Maritimo, uh, on the right, down the right. Claudio wink. Uh, the two in the middle. Pedro, Pelagio, and Jean, with former Benfica player. Uh, one appearance for the senior team and a champion with Benfica that season. I believe it was 2013-2014, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, It is Marcelo Hermes, the Brazilian, and three in attack. I know it didn't look like it in this match, but they technically went with three in the attack. On the right, it was Joel Etagiu, uh, Rodrigo Pinho, the the on-form striker um, in the middle of the attack with Ruben Macedo on the left an almost all brazilian starting 11 for maritimo and Jorge jesus would send his benfica team out with this lineup with these 11. Uh, the return of odisea's of lacudimus to the goal and gilberto is the right back with otamendi and jan vertongen pairing up as the central defenders and grimaldo is the left back Four in midfield. The option on the night was Gabriel partnering with Pisi in the center of the park, Rafa down the right, Everton down the left, and the strike partnership chosen for this one was the German international Luca Waldschmidt pairing with the Swiss international Harris Seferovic. The managers, of course, Benfica managed, as everyone knows, by George Jesus and the ever unpopular, um, and it's not just with Jorge with Jesus. This is a man who we've already heard Sergio Conceição say all of the same things Jorge Jesus said about this man. It is Lito Vidigal managing Maritimo. He is, of course, the brother of former Portugal international and sporting uh, captain at one time, if I'm not mistaken, José Vidigal. As we move forward and we'll get into the ticker. Now, Benfica, I thought, came out in this match Fairly well. Um, they got under a lot of pressure. It had been a while since they won. They had just beaten, they had just beaten Parij, but then, um, we're not talking, as you know, about the two games in the Europa League today. That's going to be in the next episode. But they had just had a tough, tough night a few nights earlier in Scotland against Rangers, uh, having fallen behind 2 0 on the road. They did manage to get back into it and eke out a 2 2 draw, um, Thanks to some on-form play from, in particular, PZ, as well as as um, Gonzalo Ramos, two of the substitutes in that match in Scotland. But in the first minute, Benfica would get a corner right off the bat and Grimaldo would hit it as it would fall to the right foot of Rafa Silva. And he would have a shot from the right side of the six-yard box. He's close, but he misses just right. Benfica knocking on the door very, very early in this match. But three minutes later, it is the talisman Rodrigo Pinho of Maritimo with a left-footed shot from outside of the box, but he misses left. Seventh minute, and it's a chance for Benfica. Pizzi, right-footed shot from the center of the box. He was set up by Waldschmidt, and that. Was It was absolutely going in, but it would be blocked on the edge of the small area, the edge of the six-yard box by defender Jean, or by Maritinho player Jean, I should say, who was there. Uh, had he not been standing there, the goalkeeper was beat. Benfica would have gone ahead very early in this match. In the 10th minute, it's another opportunity for Benfica. This time it is Everton coming down the left, uh, receiving a nice... Diagonal pass from Peasy and Everton cuts in, puts it on his preferred right foot, and Everton blasts it off of the crossbar and it goes out uh, for a goal kick. Very, very close to putting Benfica in the lead. And this was an interesting play because I want to point this out before we move to the next play where, where the calamity happens, okay? Maritimu trying to play out of their end, okay? Benfica pressing high, and Benfica's back line and a lot of the criticism on George Azouge this year has been that he's had he has this slower older back line and he's playing with them so high up the pitch and I tend to subscribe to the idea of the critics in this one. I think that he should drop this back line a little bit deeper. They don't have the pace to play such a high line. It seems sometimes like he's just trying to continue to force his way of playing the match on whatever players he has versus uh, versus. Figuring out what's best for what he has at his disposal. But at the same time as I say that, I'm not on the training pitch. I'm not there every day like George Zouge is um, and his staff. And they don't just make these decisions for the sake of making them. Okay? And as Maritimo are trying to play out, okay, um, they're put under pressure in their defensive third. They play a ball uh, looking for Lucas. Actually, it's Lucas Afriku playing a forward looking for Macedo, but a very, very good heads-up play and hard step by Nicolas Otamendi. Otamendi wins the ball in the Maritimo end and in a very quick fashion picks out the feet of Pizzi. Pizzi turns very quickly, plays in Everton, and that's when Everton puts the ball on his right foot and fires for the far post and hits the bar. Very, very good play from Otamendi. Nobody remembers it, and this is why three minutes later the ball is cleared deep by Maritimu's uh, central defender, I believe. It might have been the right back. He sends a long, looping high ball. And Befica, again, playing a high line. We talk about this high line, okay? And I think we're going to spend a few minutes talking about this 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 portion of the match here, obviously. Um, Benfica with the high line forces because Vertonghen has stepped so high. It forces Otamendi, who's playing as the right center back, still in Maritimu's end of the field, to sprint diagonally because he's the fur- furthest one back. He sprints diagonally towards the the left touchline, at least left in the direction Befica is facing. And he's put under pressure by Rodrigo Pino. Okay. Otamendi with his with Pinho on his back, running towards the touchline. His the only thing in his sight is the stands. It is the bleach, not the bleachers, but the stands, the stadium where the fans would be, and in a play that he's done a million times in his career. Okay, granted, this pitch was in atrocious form, and no, that's not an excuse, but that is part of what happened. Okay, yes, he needs to recognize the pitch is garbage and he needs to hit the ball with more pace. He doesn't recognize that. Otamendi fails to, but he he goes into an automatic play where he tries to play the ball back to Vlakodimush. Okay, and we all know what happened. The ball uh, does not make it to Vlakodimush, and Rodrigo Pino reads it pretty well, and he's in, and he ends up going in on a breakaway. Vertonian's quite a ways away. He's sprinting as hard as he can to get back, but. Pinou will chip it over Odie. Uh, Odie will get a hand on it, but he can't stop the momentum as it bounces. And it is rolling in for Tongan running as as hard as he can. He's not going to get back in time as it goes across the line for the goal. And Maritimu take the lead in the 13th minute on a mistake. An absolute mistake. And a very unfortunate and very unacceptable mistake by Nicolas Sotomendi. However... There is more to this play than just Otamendi making a mistake. Where we, and I have to talk about this because fans are uh, very narrow-sided right now when it involves uh, this player, Nicolas Otamendi. Yes, I'm going to come to the defense of Nicolas Otamendi. Yes, I have been in his corner since the day he signed with Mevika because he is one of our players. Okay. If. For example, Nicolas Otto Otamendi's past did not go through a certain stadium in the north of Portugal. And this play happens, this exact play happens. People say, oh, he's asleep. Oh, do better next time or get him out. He's asleep today. Because he played for a team that he played for some quite some years ago now. Okay, this mistake was made. There's no no denying the mistake. But now the conspiracy theorists come out and and really in what I think is just a narrow-sided and just just ignorant had a uh, ignorant opinion that and this has a lot of steam behind it, this opinion this feeling that Nicolas Otamendi came to Benfica to sabotage Benfica that a international, a professional who plays for his national team would go to a team to sabotage it. This makes no sense to anybody that can think critically. This is one of those things where somebody says it and everybody goes with it. Why? Because it's easier to believe that he's sabotaging Benfica than to accept that maybe Benfica have not built this team correctly. We have put two Less than, than fast central defenders, okay? We have two outside backs, and this includes Grimaldo, who can't defend. If Grimaldo's not all the way up the pitch all the time, this may not happen. If the if Benfica's high line is not all the way almost in their attacking third, halfway through the, the middle third, when this ball is cleared, Otamendi doesn't make a 60-yard sprint, a 50-yard sprint, whatever it was, to get to this and to try to play it back to Vlako If Vlako is not asleep, everybody lets him off the hook. Where? What is he doing? Where did he think Otamendi was going to put that ball? He should have been on the edge of his area already in position to receive this, ready to run at it. He wasn't. He was way too deep. In his, own, in his own penalty area, way too close to the goal, okay? He's a good goalkeeper, and he has come a long way, but he still struggles with certain things, like coming out. Not like he used to, but there are still struggles there. We saw it against Braga. Now, all of a sudden, everybody's let him off the hook for that Braga goal, and they're blaming Otamendi for that one, too, because they're going to pile it on this player because this player used to play for Football Clube de Porto. That's the only reason people are piling it on him. Jesus comment in the post-game press conference. Okay, for all the dumb things Jesus says, and he says dumb things. Nobody can deny that. Sometimes I think it's intentional, and it's it's a Mourinho-esque uh, strategy to deflect attention and criticism away from his team. I don't think it's a mistake that he made an ignorant, an ignorant, idiotic comment after this match because he knows that his central defender is going to get massacred for this and perhaps he's trying to shift the focus onto himself to get it off of his player who is in a slump okay but remember that this player is coming off a season he barely played okay when he was signed the manager Jorge Jesus says Nicolas Otamendi will have to learn how to play central defender for me i do not play the same way as Pep Guardiola there is a learning curve even if you're 33 years old and you're, you know, you're an, interna- an Argentina international. Now, this is nothing about learning. This is this was a simple mistake, and that's what Jorge Zuz said. He said it was an error in execution. Had it been an error in positioning, an error in vision, an error in 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 something methodical, he would have been much more concerned. I think this is the best comment that came out of Jorge Zuz. This his mouth. Maybe since he's been here. Okay? Now, I said this a couple episodes back. And what I'm seeing now, and this is not fair to Jorge Azouge. Okay, this is hindsight being twenty twenty. I think making Otamendi captain put an unnecessary target on his back with the fan base. He was coming in with enough baggage. I think Benfica, Georges Azouge, and... To an extent, N- Otamendi all underestimated the baggage that his signing was going to bring. Okay, they underestimated just how heavily criticized he was going to be for a mistake. He probably never pl- vision envisioned himself making this many mistakes in this in this short of a time. Yes, he made mistakes, but he sat in Scotland last Thursday. We still gave up two goals. Okay. We still gave up two goals. It doesn't matter who you put there. This this defense is not built the way it needs to be. We got him not because he fit our system, okay? Jorge Zouge has a system, and we signed two central defenders this offseason that don't fit his system. Now, I'm a fan of both of these central defenders if used properly. And I expected Georges Zouche to make adjustments for the players he has. He is a world-class manager. He needs to think outside the box. That's not happening. Now, like he said, this was an error in execution. He's had a lot of those. He's also rusty. He's also missed some football. Everyone's saying he should sit. I think he needs to play more. I'm going to be honest with you. I think Otamendi needs to play more. He needs to get his rhythm back. This is a lack of rhythm. When you don't put the right... Pace on the ball when you don't use the right st- amount of strength, it's because you have not played enough. He has not played in in difficult conditions, in wet conditions yet. Okay, the, the, this this part of the year where the fields are heavier, the fields, the pitches are are soaked. You know, it's just beginning. He. He missed a lot of action last year. I'm not making excuses. But he is not. You can't just single out one player for every goal we keep. This team has given up 10 goals in the last, what, four games? Last four matches, 10 goals surrendered? We're giving up goals like never. No, sorry. They've given up 10 goals in the first half of the season. The most, I think, in in years. It's not all because of one player. Now, if you want to be fair, and this is starting to sound like me making a Defense. he sounded like a defensive term, but if you want to be fair and you want to be accurate, one of the goals that was ultimately fault was a BS penalty call. Okay, a red card again at home against Rangers that should not that should not have stood because the player was offside. But there's no VAR in that competition for whatever reason. We got a European competition with no VAR. We want to have VAR in 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 less significant competitions, and then we get to the Europa League and there's no VAR. I think UEFA needs to change that. There needs to be VAR from the from the group stage forward, if not sooner, because it's not fair to the teams in the group stage and the teams in the preliminary stages that there's no VAR. And then three months from now, in March, when we play in the round of 32 and you've got a, a Real Madrid, for example, who's going to drop into the Europa League if they don't get a win in their final match day of the Champions League, and they're playing... I don't know, they're playing, who do you want them to play? Let's say that they're playing Rangers, whatever, okay? All of a sudden, that play happens to Sergio Ramos. You replace Otamendi with Sergio Ramos. You replace Benfica with Real Madrid, and you're going to go to VAR. And Sergio Ramos is not going to be sent off. And Real Madrid are going to win that exact game 3-0 rather than drawing 3-3, which is probably what would have happened had that red card not happened. Benfica were already ahead. But there's no VAR in the group stage because there's no Real Madrid in the group stage. There's no Manchester United this year, last year. You know, Manchester United or not. There's no, who do you want to add? You know, they're, the uh, the big names come into this competition after the group stage of the Champions League. That's what UEFA cares about. Those Those are the clubs UEFA listens to. Those are the ones they want to make sure they don't do wrong. If you're in the group stage of the Europa League, guess what? UEFA's not too worried about you. But I digress as it's one too to Maritimu. But like I said, there's plenty of blame to go around. Okay. Vertonghen's way too high. Um, Grimaldo is not even in the right zip code. I understand he's going forward, but somebody's got to... I mean, I think this team needs to stop. The There's two problems in this team. Okay. There are two problems systematically in this team that are really killing us. One Is The middle of the pitch is an open freeway. It is a highway. It's an autostrada. Why? Because we don't have a true six. We don't have a true six. We don't have a true eight. So that middle corridor is never covered correctly. So now you have two central defenders who everyone says are old and slow. I say what two defenders, what two central defenders can handle four or five guys running at them all the time? Because there's nobody in front of them, There's nothing but a gap. And to make matters worse, and this is the... this, You know you have that problem in the middle corridor. So what do you do? You still put your two outside backs, touchline wide, high up the pitch. Gabriel, your holding midfielder, is always forced if you watch his heat map. And I wish that we had a tactical camp to watch this match. Okay, I wish these matches were on the tactical cam. If we had that, you would see Gabriel spends more time playing left back covering for Grimaldo, than he does sitting in, f- in front of the two center backs protecting them. Yes, he has Garra, He runs. Sometimes that's not what the game calls for. Sometimes it calls for someone to park it right in front of the central defenders and to protect that passing lane and to not let it through. And then, to make it even better, we're slow... We're poorly structured, and we're playing two-thirds of the way up the pitch with a high line. We don't have the pace to to get to, to chase down anyone who gets in behind us. But, again, we don't make any changes. We continue to play the same way. So I'm expecting more out of Georges Azouch. I have the sense that he's not entirely happy with, this, with the roster he has. I think he's frustrated. I think there's players he doesn't particularly like in this team. I think he's trying to figure out how to how to manage this team, and it's taking a while. But it's going to take a while. If you go back to this podcast when Georges Zouche was signed, whenever it was, August, September, I don't remember anymore what month it was. This year has been such a such a cluster. I don't remember. But I said this is going to be the biggest building job of Georges Zouche's career. And it's proving to be that because the pieces don't necessarily fit right. He needs to reshape them. Does that mean he he's not gonna do it? No, I think he can do it. Um, I don't think the answer is gonna be Lucas Verissimo though. Uh, a defender who's nowhere near the radar for his national team is gonna come in and replace one of two internationals. Yeah, he's young, but. Does he have the awareness? Does he have the vision? Does he have the positioning? In this match, okay, these two central defenders did exactly what George Azuz's game calls for. They were impeccably positioned in accordance with the game plan. What I'm disagreeing with, especially on this play, is not their positioning so much as the plan. Because I think these players are executing what the manager is asking of them. At least in terms of the two central backs, and in terms of where the lines set up, where they step to, where they when to drop, that is a structural issue. That is a philosophical, uh, methodical issue. It is not players not knowing what to do. I don't think that these experienced players are being utilized the best. And then everyone wants to beat up on Gilberto as well, but guess what? It's not Gilberto's fault we didn't go out and get a proper right back that can play that position. We we seem to only go get right backs to back up Andre Almeida, who cannot go through an entire season healthy. Okay? And see, at least when Andre Almeida's back there, he doesn't go up as much and there's a little bit better of a of a dynamic across the back. But Gilberto's game is not that. Gilberto's game is in the he's he's a average to mediocre attacking wing back. But that's not his fault. We went to get him. If it's the manager that selected him, that's his fault. If it's the president, it's him. If it's Rui Costa, it's on him. Thiago Pint, it's on him. Whoever thought that this was going to be enough, whoever thought that leaving these gaping holes in this team wasn't going to come back to get us, they share the majority of the blame for the struggles in this team. Let's move forward now. As Benfica I wanted to mention the very next play, and this is something I, I have to say, okay? And I have to commend this player. We talk all the time about PZ. Nobody, I have criticized PZ as much as anybody, okay? And especially when it comes to his leadership skills. I've said before, what I believe about PZ as a player, I believe PZ is a average to good player who is capable of going on runs, of playing way above his ability, of playing up to that good to very good level, if you look at it like a ladder. PZ is able to elevate his game to a higher level for periods of time in a season. And what happens is I think we all start to expect him to stay there. His real level is more humble than that, is is lower than that. But right now he is on one of his runs where he's playing better than nor than he normally does, okay? I would love for this to be his normal. I don't believe it is. However, this player is criticized up and down. He does nothing but where that sh- – I've criticized him. Okay, I'm going to say he's – I've said he's a poor leader. He doesn't have the mentality. He doesn't have the attitude. I've said it before. He showed something to me in this match, though. He and the rest of the team showed me something. It may not show in results or in performances yet, but there are little signs that this team is improving their main problem, which is the mentality and the psychology of this team, the culture. Because you know what what spoke very loud to me that I don't think many people noticed? What's the first thing Benfica did on the restart? Okay, and PZ directed it. That ball came off the center circle, and within two passes, that ball was on Otamendi's foot. Otamendi just makes the the big mistake. His team gives him the ball right away. A gesture that, hey, we believe in you. We trust you. Otamendi goes on to play uh, a good match. I mean, he ends up getting his head knocked with Rodrigo Pinu's head. Uh, he ends up having to wear a swim cap for the rest of the match. But it didn't affect him. Otamendi was positioned well. Otamendi, the rest of the match played well. Yes, the issues with him are the mistakes he made but i saw something and i saw an improvement in the character or in the leadership qualities of luis afonso fernandes better known as pezy okay he went and picked up his his teammate right away they said hey you're starting this play they put the ball on on otomendi's foot and they said you're starting the build up out of the back it's starting with you and Befico would, would go forward. And in the 31st minute, the match was level. Let's have a listen. So it's PZ with the equalizer. And like I said, this man is just On form right now. You may not like the way he plays the position. You may not like his quote unquote lack of vision. He doesn't get back. I know all that. I think he would be even better served in this team if he was able to play further up the pitch because he has the one thing that the other midfielders are lacking he has the ability to finish, he has the ability to assist. Okay? Um, And when I mean assist, I mean he has the ability when he is on to put the ball right on the spot where it needs to be for. His teammate to just push it in. PZ right now one of the most more consistent and one of the best players in the side. We uh, match after match ever since the international break and ever s- even going back. I mean, he has been putting in good performances and I say it all the time here. And I think you're starting to learn my philosophy. And this hasn't always been my philosophy, but this is how it's evolved. Is that if you're getting, it's not that I'm a, it's not that I'm I'm. I think we live in a world of analytics and stat- and statistics and that goal point is the only, you know, way to judge ability or the way to judge a performance. No, but at the end of the day, the game or the match is won and lost based on one thing, the final score. Players can do all these, ni- can have all these nice skills. They can have all this great vision, plug great balls, you know, look beautiful with the ball on their feet dribble players over and over. But if the ball's not going in the goal, you are not gonna win. I'd rather win ugly than draw or lose pretty. I'm I'll be honest, okay? It took me years to come to this conclusion, but especially when it is my club, I don't care how pretty it looks. I care that my team wins and that my team scores goals, because you can't win without scoring goals. I care that my team doesn't concede goals. Right now, our team has a problem with conceding goals, but at least we're scoring. we found the back of the net now in the last couple of matches, and we are improving. And this match, I think, really can serve service as a springboard into, you know, The rest of the calendar year into the month of January, into the winter months where there's no more interruption now. There's no more international break until March. In March, we can look at it again. Okay, we'll have to, and, you know, in March, European matches pick up again. But we're about to go into a phase of the season where Bayfica traditionally succeed. That is that phase between the international windows, between the European nights when Befica is solely focused on the league and they're playing once a week. PZ is overly criticized, okay? I've said it before. I'm guilty of this too at times. At the end of the day, if we're scoring goals because he's either setting somebody up or because he's putting the ball in the goal himself, he needs to be the one to play. We talk about an eight and we talk about a six. I think the discussion is over as to who who plays in midfield right now. Unless you are going to play him further up the pitch, he has to be your guy. We're getting goals, whether it's Europa League, whether it's the Liga. We are getting goals thanks to this player. You may not like him, and a lot of people don't. Others do. He's very—he's a very polarizing figure. But at the end of the day, what counts most is that we are getting goals. I can't—people, myself included—always say that. For somehow, this guy always plays well. Maybe it's because he factors. Maybe it's because he gets goals and assists, even on some of his worst nights. I've said the same thing about Rafa in the past. Rafa right now not getting goals and assists, but ironically playing better, exploiting other teams' weaknesses, but um, not getting the same production line as when he's sometimes not playing as well. At the end of the day, you want to win the match. You need to put the ball in the goal fika are starting to do it. Now, we're in the second half. All right, we're going to fast forward right to the second half because in the interest of time, we're going to go right into it. And we're in the 50th minute. And let's have another listen. So a nice string of passes, finally finding Seth Ferovich, who quickly plays it into space for Everton Subolina. And for the first time since round three, I have been watching and waiting for this for the first time since round three. and Actually, he did it earlier in the match, but this time it resulted in a goal. Everton goes from the left to the center, puts it on his preferred right foot, and with a very, very nice touch with his right foot, uh, touching it goalwards, he beats the defender whose body positioning was all wrong. He had him turned around. Everton recognizes that, touches towards goal. He's in behind and then slots it brilliantly past Charlish. And the ball is into the goal and Befica take the lead in a minute 50 thanks to some good buildup and a nice finish from Everton Subolino who needed this goal badly. This guy was a big signing for us and he needed a goal badly. It has been like I said so long since he's put a goal. I know it's been five rounds but it's been like two months also since Everton. Took a player on. I think it was in round three, if I'm not mistaken. Took a player on, beat that player, created the space to shoot, and put the ball in the goal. Befica take the lead, and through the first 60 minutes, I think Befica, by far the better team. Um, Maritimo playing with two very deep, low blocks. They get a goal early, okay? They start wasting time. This is part of the Lito Vidigal reputation. Okay, this is something he's known for. This is why George Azouge is losing his mind. All right, they're playing They're they're feigning injuries every chance they have. They're they're fouling excessively. The referees don't do anything about it. Listen. I'm when when this goal went in, George Azouge started to celebrate pretty uh passionately if you want to say. He started headed to heading towards Maritimu's bench. He's looking at Lito Vidigal. Fortunately for him, Jui Costa cuts him off. He gets in front of him, hugs him, but really he's preventing him from going any further and getting himself in any trouble. Uh good heads up move there by the vice president now, uh, Jui Costa. And uh he's looking at he's looking at um Lito Vidigal and I think this is when the line that rubbed a lot of people one of the lines that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way um telling either telling Lito Vidigal to go back or that he's no longer at Uelvish, the club where he started his career and um that club well Uelv- uh, president was deeply offended by these words from JJ but it's not the first time JJ's offended somebody it's not the last time he's gonna offend somebody um it's not that that I excuse this behavior or that I maybe not excuse not the right word it's not that I condone this behavior but what it is is this is JJ this is what we signed up for I have a problem with fans supporters who four months ago we're jumping up and down because we signed JJ. They thought he was gonna ride in here, and we were gonna be flamingo 2.0 from last season, and we were just gonna start winning four, five, six, seven goals, you know, seven nil the way we did in tw- 2009, 2010 for for a large portion of that season. I told you guys this team was not at that level yet. This is a building project still. It is. It has to be a fast build, but there is building that needs to be done. Jorge Azuz, when he's under fire, when he's under stress, when he's under pressure, when people are criticizing him, we get more of this side of Jorge Azuz. This didn't happen as much in Brazil because he was a bit reserved knowing he was in another country, knowing he was the outsider, knowing that I think he, he consciously was making an effort to win people over. When he comes back to Portugal, he's not doing any of that. Okay, he had had enough of of the, anti, the anti-football or the anti as they say in Portuguese. Personally, I think that's all part of a game. I'm going to be honest with you. I think that's part of the game. When the big dogs play the little dogs, the little dogs have to take shortcuts. Okay, It's part of the game. You do what you have to do to win or to get your result. There's no honor, and maybe many of you will disagree with this, there's no honor in doing what some teams do when they face Benfica. We've seen this in the past where they decide they're going to come out and they're going to play wide open and they're going to go for it and then Benfica are up 3-0 in the first half hour. There is no honor in that. You watch BTV and they're going to commend the other team for playing quote-unquote positive. I hate these terms of what is positive football and what is negative football. All of us we live in an era where any where defensive is negative and offensive is positive and it sounds like people would rather lose 5 to 4 than win 1-0. Listen, Lito Vidigal, for all his faults, and he's not a manager I like, and I don't say that too often. I like a lot of managers. Uh, The manager is a lot of what intrigues me to this sport, okay? And Lito Vidigal, for all his faults, what do you want him to do? Do you expect him to go out there, open his team wide open, so that guys like Waldschmidt and Rafa and Pizzi can just cut them up no, he's going to play with deep, low-lying blocks, knowing Benfica struggle against that. He does it against Porto as well. He does it against Sporting. He knows our teams. Though we have better players, don't we lack creativity. Especially when you're a team like Befica, in a slump like we were coming into this match. Our only win in the previous, what, four or five was against a third division team. We had just had a off night again in Scotland. The pressure was immense. Of course, he is going to sit deep, and he's going to wait for his opportunity. That opportunity came. That allowed him to sit even deeper. And yes, in the 20th minute, they're starting the time-wasting. Yes, it's excessive. But if the referee is not going to do anything about it, well, then you have to do something about it. You have to break this team down. you got to put the ball in the goal, and you got to force them to come out. That is how you stop teams from playing with deep, low-lying blocks and playing, quote-unquote, anti-football. Parking the bus. The name of this network. Obviously, I don't have a problem with that if I named my podcast network after it. It's part of the game. It's part of the match. You try to even the playing field as much as you can. So you leave the grass a little long. You leave it... You leave some holes in the pitch. The league isn't going to do anything about it. Can you do, you're do? you going to do what you have to do to get the results you need to get. Now, it didn't work out for Lito Vidigal. He ends up getting sacked. That was announced today, earlier today. He got sacked Friday, December the 4th. Lito Vidigal, I believe, has been sacked. I believe it's official. It may not be official yet, but it sounds like it's it's about to happen. Um. So, you know what? He pays the price for his tactics. It didn't result, and he paid the price with his job. But I tell you what, if he if could go ahead in the 50th minute, about 10 minutes later, the sky opens up, and that, that pitch becomes unplayable, that game becomes unplayable. I think that was all part of the plan. knowing the I think they knew what the weather was going to be. They left the pitch a mess. It resulted in them getting a goal. They're they're trying to even the tables, and I don't have a problem with that. That brings competition. That makes the game more interesting. That means the good teams have to be that much better because they have to overcome something. It's not – when you have a payroll like Befica has and you're going up against a team like Maritimo and what they have for a payroll – you don't have the excuses. I'm sorry. You have to overcome whatever challenges put in front of you. That is what champions do. This team is still learning to be champions. They're learning. I don't know if we're going to do you know, I I I'm hopeful and I'm fairly confident we can we'll, we'll do it this year. It's still early, but the the pieces are there. There's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of progression that needs to happen, but it's certainly possible. And it's sometimes gutting out wins like this. It doesn't need to be pretty. I'm not interested in pretty. I'm interested in effective. If you're effective, pretty will come later. Because you're gonna get confident. When you're confident, you're prettier. Now, if you're down in the in the in the gutter and you can't buy a win, you're not gonna play pretty. You're gonna eke out a win however you can. And Bafikah did that. I think they played well for an hour. I I I do. I believe Bafikah played well for an hour. You take that mistake by Otamendi out. And not just by Otamendi. You take that entire mistake with the positioning of the entire team with Odiseiz not coming off his line, like I said, you take that out and Befica played a very good match for 60 minutes. It got very tough after that. The pitch got very heavy. Knowing they had to go forward, Maritimu starts to take chances. You got what you wanted. You got them to take chances, but Befica exerted a lot of energy getting the lead back. I th- and I think... Their legs got heavy and it got harder to do it. And as the match went on, they were pushed back a little bit. But the weather, the conditions, the pitch conditions all factored in this match. At the end of the day, Befica win. Okay, I'm not going to go through the rest of the second half because we've already been talking about this game for a long time. Uh, We see Gonzalo Ramos in the 71st minute. He gives us a pretty decent uh, performance again. And hopefully we'll see the the player grow and and move forward. Andreas Samadis comes in in the 78th for Seferovic. Some people don't like it. They don't like seeing George Zouzouge playing. George Zouzouge knows what he has in front of him. George zazouge knows that when your team is in a slump, you still need to get pet. You still need to generate points. You still need to earn points. George zazouge does not care, or well, maybe he does care, and that's why he blew up on the on the reporter. But George Zouzouge is more interested in the result and getting the points than he is in your opinion, my opinion, any reporter's opinion, any player's opinion, to be honest. George Azuz is an independent man, an independent mind, a, an independent thinker, and that's why a lot of people don't like him because in the people who go against the grain are not always popular. They're they're polarizing. They're either they're popular and they're hated at the same time. They're polarizing. Georges Jesus fits that bill, just like Jose Mourinho, just like Sergio Conceição. Okay, these managers fit that bill. They don't go with the grain. They think for themselves. They don't just go with convention. Let's go to the goal point. All right. Um, like I said, I know I didn't break down much in this of this match, but we went through the key moments. As Um, could pick up on all important three points. I can't stress enough how important that is. These the standings as they are right now, you can see them on MisterMifika.com. www.mistermifika.com. Mifika moved to third place now, but let's go through uh, the let's go through the the goal point ratings. Okay, and I'll read you the table after, even though it's up on the website. But For Maritimo, Charles, 4.5. Wink, 4.6. René Santos, 5.5. Jean, Uh, 6.2. Africo, 4.1. Pelagio, 5.4. Leo Andrade, 5.4. Hermes, 5.1. Macedo, 4.9. Tegu, 4.8. And Rodrigo Pinho, the goal scorer, 6.1 off the bench Correa and and Wilson uh 5.2 and 5.3 respectively Benfica of 5.2 Gilberto a 5.8 disappointing night for Gilberto as um he ended up being subbed off for uh for Diogo Salves later in the match Otamendi with a, another disappointing 4.6 but again when you make the mistakes he makes that affects your analytics that def- affects your rating and uh, again, if I really believe if, if that mistake doesn't happen, he's, he's at a 6566 after watching this game. Again, um, a lot of good was done aside from that. And this is gonna make some of you mad. I know, but I'm here to give you my opinion. You don't have to agree with me. I don't expect everyone to agree with me. The great thing about podcasting is we can all have our own opinion. At the end of the day, we all love Bayfica and it's all about Bayfica and it's all about this team getting better. Okay, we 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 can disagree about how we get there. If at the end of the day we get to where we need to be, in six point one, um, little by little getting more and more comfortable, and um, quickly uh, on Canalons After this match, um, I was watching some of their post game because BTV's post game has very little to no uh, analysis. Um, they had Manish on. Okay, Manish was talking. On, on Canal onze, okay? Um, he was asked about the issues with Otamendi and with Vertong and Benfica's defenders, and he says what he sees, based on his experience, playing with all three of the... He played with all three big clubs in Portugal. Remember, he played with Benfica. He played with Porto. Won everything there is to win with Porto. Porto finished his career at Sporting. He also played for Chelsea. He also was a fixture a permanent fixture for years in the Portuguese national team that nearly he went to the final of the euro he went to the semi-finals of the world cup he has seen it what he says and he's the only one that said this so far he says the problem is Otamendi and Vertonghen and maybe Vlako is is part of this as well he sees too much mutual respect between them and what happens is neither one is willing to take Charge of the other. This is what Nunu Chibero, aka Manish, sees, and that's a good observation. I never thought of it, to be honest. But you can see it. There's, there's a timidness. A, a, yeah, they're just timid in overstepping their bounds. Because I think they're, he thinks that they respect each other that much. They're two internationals for highly ranked national teams. One for Argentina, one for Belgium they're not they're not you know they're not going to go win medals in athletics they're not going to go win the 100 meter dash or the 200 meter dash but i think that's a good call that they're just they're still working out how to play together he goes there is a lot of lack of communication that is a big problem i think with Otamendi, Vertonghen and Vlakudimush, they all speak different languages and i think there's a lack of communication that's why perhaps that's why Vlakudimush isn't off his line Where he needs to be to receive that pass from or to be able to come out and clear that ball before Rodrigo Pino can get onto it. To be better anticipated. Um, They're not necessarily on the same wavelength mentally and they're not communicating orally very well or vocally, excuse me, very well yet. But that's something that that I will certainly improve as the season goes on. And... um, I think turning this result around and getting three points in this is, is just so important um, to springboard this team into the next couple of matches. And we saw it, and we'll talk about it in the next episode, we saw already an improved Befica against what was quite honestly a lackluster, poor um, Lech Poznan on Thursday. But you can already see a little bit of confidence returning to Benfica as they played an almost mistake free match, which is important right now. Benfica needs to get to playing. If they play mistake free or as close to mistake free as possible, they're going to win 90% of their matches because they have enough talent against the teams that they're going to be paired up against to pull that off. Grimaldo gets a 6.4. Everton 7.1. PZ is the man of the match on goal points 7.5. Gabriel with a better performance, much improved from what he from a very bad performance in Scotland the previous Thursday. 6.7 for Gabriel. Rafa 6.4. Waldschmidt uh, in a bit of a slump 4.9. And Safarovic 6.5 off the bench. Gonzalo Ramos 5.0. Samadish, 5.2. Diego Gonzalez and Jardel with no rating. Quick look at statistics and shots: six to twelve. Maritimu with six, BeFico with twelve. Uh, on goal, two a piece. Actions in the this is a crazy stat. Actions in the opponent's uh, penalty area. BeFico with thirty-six to just eight from Maritimu. BeFico with twelve corners to one. Pass efficiency: Bayfica eighty-six percent pass efficient to sixty-four percent from Maritimu. Vertical pass efficiency, 44% for Maritimu, 71% for Mefika. Um Defensive actions in the opponent's midfield, 16 defensive actions in the opponent's midfield for Mayfica, only 8 for Maritimu. And fouls, 21 fouls committed by Maritimu. And this is part of what was driving Jorge Jesus nuts. And I think this had a, something to do also with George Jesus making that inappropriate. Um, ignorant comment to the, the female reporter, and um, I'll talk about that real quickly in a moment. Uh, Possession, 69% to Befica. Okay, so let's talk about that real quick. Let's talk about that comment. Idiotic, yes. George Azouge does these things when he's under pressure. Okay, I'm not excusing it. It's something that needs to be addressed. But if the club is not going to address it, we can sit here and holler all we want. i but like I said, I have a problem with people who wanted to see this manager here and have quickly changed their tune as if th- this is not part of the package. I've said this since he arrived. This is part of the package with, with JJ. You never know what he's going to say, okay? He made a comment that was inappropriate and, yes, came across a sexist. Whether or not he's sexist, I don't know the man personally. I can't say. The comment was, was it intended to be, you know, I, I tend to believe he said that and worse to male reporters also. So I'm not sure. I'm not getting into that. I'm not getting into, I'm. there's a lot of people right now. Not just in the sports world, in the world, just waiting for people to misspeak and to jump all over them. So I'm not going to be one of those, okay? Yes, the comment needs to, it should be, there should be an apology for that comment. I agree. But the same people pointing the finger at JJ for that comment, the same reporters have made similarly stupid comments in their careers at one group of people or another. Nobody, nobody attacks Sergio Conceição when he says stupid things, and he says stupid things too, because just like JJ, he reacts to pressure and to poor results, and to poor performances the same exact way by popping off at the mouth. Jose Mourinho's gotten in trouble for this over the years. This is part of uh, this is something that top managers deal with, depending on their personality and what words they use in their vernacular. Are there sexist sentiments in his heart? How am I to know? How is anyone to know? Unless you know the man personally, you can't answer that. You can make assumptions, but, you know, assumptions don't necessarily tell the true story. Now, let's go through the table real quick. Sporting are top 22 points. Braga second, 18. Uh, Befica also on 18 and third. They're behind, of course, on the head-to-head. Porto fourth, 16 points. de Tverjeet, our next opponent in the league, uh, our fifth right now, 14 points. Vitoria Guimarães are sixth with 13. Nacional de Madeira 10, as are Santa Clara and Rioav also on 10. In tenth, it's Famalicão with nine. 11 is Gil Vicente with eight. Tondela also with eight, as is Belenenses and Moreirense. Moving down to 15th, it is Portimones with 7 points, Boavista. And Marítimo also on 7 points. Marit, uh, Boavista right now in 16th. That's a playoff spot, a relegation playoff spot. Maritimu right now in the relegation zone. That's why Litu Vidigal is history. They got 7 points in is bottom of the table with 5 And uh, that's going to take us to a break, all right, as that's going to close the chapter on Round 8, Liga Nage. We'll talk about Europa League in Episode 99. We'll go over both of the matches that have been played recently. Um, in the Europa League. But right now, we're going to take a break. Like I said, this is Mr. Benfica. I am the Mr. Mike Agustinho. You, you can follow me on Twitter at Benfica Mister on Instagram at Mr. Benfica, on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Mr. Benfica. And don't forget to check out www.mrbenfica.com. Um, starting to slowly build a, a, a library uh, of blog posts and articles there for you guys. Um... going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about my ladies. We're going to talk about our girls. We're going to talk about Befica women's football making history. UEFA Women's Champions League. On to the next round. Huge, huge opponent coming up. Historic. We're going to talk about how they got there. And maybe hit a few notes on what needs to happen in uh, leg one of the first official round of 32 women's. Champions League coming up next week on the 9th of December Um, Befica will play at the Seychelles and not at the Tapadinha against Chelsea but we'll talk about how they beat Anderlecht next right after this break here on Mr. Befica on the PTB Media Network To Mr. Benfica and what you just heard there of course the anthem for the UEFA Champions League and if we're talking about Benfica and the Champions League in the same sentence this season that means only one thing it means we're talking women's football and it is time to review Benfica and Anderlecht Women's Champions League second preliminary round playing for a place in the Champions League proper the round of 32 a one-off playoff match and we're turning the clock back to Wednesday, the eighteenth of November, twenty twenty, uh, a night game, which was a nice a nice change as opposed to the lunchtime kickoff they had in Greece in the first uh, preliminary round. And we are at the we're at the Stad Constant Vanden Stock in Bru- in Brussels, and um, the back to back to back three times uh Belgian Champions Anderlecht hosting Benfica let's take a look here at the lineups and also the referee in this match is from Norway her name was Henrique Henrique Nervik and the rest of the referee crew was also Norwegian Anderlecht was an almost all Belgian lineup okay and they are managed by also an, a Belgian his name is Patrick Weichel and they go with Justien Auders, Tini de Cagni, Laura de Neve, Laura de Luz. Uh, the r- one foreign player, the r- Romanian, number ten, Stefania Vatafu, uh, Cassandra Misipu, Jarnet Tulinx, Charlotte or Charlot, I guess you would say in French, Tyson. Sarah Wijnants, Silke Leyen, and Tessa Voulart are the 11 starters for Enderlecht. Benfica go with a little bit of a changed 11 from what we had seen. Now, if you remember back just a few days before this match, Benfica had been uh, stomped a little bit by Sporting 3-0 at the Tapadinha um, in a match report. But you could, just came out a little bit flat. And though they were the better of the two teams early on, they ended up getting outlasted by their Lisbon rivals. And goalkeeping was definitely an issue in that match. And I think that influenced Luis Andrade's decision. Luis Andrade, of course, the manager. And in goal, he went with young Carolina Villon. Across the back, four in the back, it was... Ana Saisa as the left back. The center back, Sylvia Ghebelu, the captain. And Carol Costa. And the right back was Katerina Amadu, the very informed Katerina Amadu, And then in midfield, Ana Vittoria, Pauletta and Andrea Faria, as well as Christy Uchibi playing a little bit in front of them. And then up front. The two forwards, it is the Canadian Chloe Lacassi, the top scorer, and Brazilian international Nicole Raisla. Now, after this match, uh, Benfica would would send off uh, Nicole and Ana Vitoria to the Brazilian national team, as well as Andrea Faria, Ana Saisa, uh, Silvia Ghebelu, and Carol Costa would go to the Portuguese national team, as would... Matildas Fidalgo from the bench, and Kika Nazareth from the bench. So, a lot of players headed off to international duty after this match. Um, but before they could do that, there was uh, the little, small, little, small uh, tidbit of this match to play, and we'll look at the match report and today's match report. Brought to you by www.playmakerstats.com. As the first half was a uh, um. It, was a good, it wasn't a bad first half for Benfica. Again, coming off that, that difficult defeat earlier in the week to Sparthing, Benfica looked to have a little bit more of a pep in their step, uh, so to speak, in this match. They came out with a little more spring, a little more... They looked a little more fresh than they did uh, against Sparthing. And maybe that's because they weren't playing at 11 o'clock in the morning. Maybe it's because they were playing a night game and it was... It was the weather was like optimal. It was it was perfect. It was cool. Uh, the ground was wet, just right. There was a dew. the The pitch was fast, and Benfica seemed to to adapt to it very well. Uh, early on, you could see though that the the Belgian side had some speed. They had some good foot speed, and uh, Chloe got Chloe up front. She got in behind a few times on the on on the run, but but. Enderlech's back backline had, had pace to match her, and they were able to always get back in position to to prevent too much uh, danger. However, one thing that became evidently clear right off the bat was Benfica had a significant advantage in terms of physicality and in terms of power, which was the exact opposite of what happened against Sparthing. And you could see that, physically speaking, in terms of strength, Anderlecht had no answer for, specifically, Ana Vitoria and for Nicole Raisla. Okay, and those two players would be very, very crucial in this match. And the first half was was fairly even, but Benfica played very, very well in the first half. As um, they created quite a few chances. They were unable to put any away. But there was a play that I'm, I'm remembering very, very vividly near the, the penalty area. And Ana, Ana Vitaria receives the ball very nicely from from Ana Saisa, and she's able to just turn and really muscle through two defenders. She puts it across, and I think Chloe got on the end of it, if I'm not mistaken. But the shot didn't end up didn't end up getting on goal; it missed. But you could see quickly that Mayfield were confident and that they had put the Spartan match behind them. And like I said the last time we talked about the women's team, uh, that sporting match was a little bit of a deceiving match because at the end, that match is not going to mean anything because both teams are advancing to the championship round. So I think Luis Andrade did well to not show too much, and he tried a few things. I think he really tried a few things, he hypothesized. He put things to the test. He experimented to see if that what was going to result and what wasn't. So, in this match now, what we saw um, very importantly, at least for me, th- something I was looking for, and it was down the right side. It was it was it was Katarina Amado back to the type of form we saw earlier. You know, prior matches before the sporting match, and she's not playing against Amara here. She's playing against the three-time defending. Belgian champions, but she was getting forward a lot more. Her defending was solid. Both her and Anasaisa defensively were, were, were quite good. Um, Anasaisa had a little bit more difficulty in, in going up the pitch, but that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Katrina Madu on the right was just, she was back to being herself, back to being the Machina I talked about uh, in the Amora match. She just, she just found the gaps, she found the lanes, she attacked them, she exploited space and she linked up very well with with Andrea Faria and with with Pauletta specifically as they combined down the right side to make some good play. We also had really really good play from Christy Uchibe and she really really for me this was the best match I've seen her play in a Benfica kit. Um, she was everywhere. She was. Her control was second to none. Her first touch was impeccable in this match, and the Belgian side had a, had a hard time taking the ball off her. She never killed the ball either, as she's receiving is always touching it into space, always exploiting holes and gaps in the Belgian lineup. And I thought that she was really, really good in this match. She was one of my one of my um, my picks for the player of the match along with obvious the obvious uh, Nicole Raisla who ends up getting on on the score sheet. We had a, a little bit of of um, disciplinary action in the in the first half. Two yellow cards both to Enderlecht. Uh, in in the 35th minute it was Stefania Vatafu of Anderlecht shown a yellow card and that was her first yellow in the competition. Um A minute later, Jardin Tulings would also go into the the book for a yellow card. Um, Again, Benfica really creating opportunities, using players that were really on form, uh, which I said Ana Vitoria, Christy Uchibi, Katerina Amado in the first half were really the the important ones. Another important thing, Pauleta. Back to playing the way we saw two seasons ago. I mean, as the holding midfielder, completely destroying and cleaning out everything in the midfield, winning balls. She's she's easily the best ball winner on the pitch. Just winning balls, distributing, sitting in front of the two the two central defenders when needed. And of course, our two central defenders are our absolute class. They are the there's a reason they're the the two central defenders. They're the same pair for the Portuguese national team and. Um, Again, we're seeing the growth of the two outside backs who are are a bit younger. Especially for Ana Saisa. She's coming from... This is her first season as a senior. First full season as a senior. Um, Last year, she did a little bit of double duty between the youth and the the first team. But she wasn't called on to be a a day-in, day-out starter like she has had to be this season due to the injury to Jassi Vasconcelos. And she she's really growing, I think, and obviously it's showing because she was called into the Portuguese national team by uh, by Francisco Neto uh, for the most recent international window in which Portugal were victorious in two crucial matches on their way to trying to qualify for the European Championship. Uh, he brought her in to take a look at her, so obviously she is doing things right. She is a converted central defender, so she's playing as a left back, converted from cent- center back, so there is a, a learning curve there, but it is coming along. Uh, a lot of work off the ball in this first half from Chloe Lacaz. I, I I, have to stress that because she didn't get as much action on the ball as you would have liked, as we're used to seeing. But so much good work off the ball, clearing space for her teammates, clearing gaps, allowing Diana Vitorias and the Christy Uchibis to get into those spaces and to create chances, and allowing space for Nicole Raisla to get herself out. Also, in a goal-scoring uh, situation, but we would go into halftime with a nil-nil draw, knowing that this match could go all the way to penalty kicks. Um, I felt fairly confident watching this one. I thought Benfica were playing well, and I thought we were definitely being mad. You know, we were definitely player for player. Um, a good matchup for this Anderlecht team, who's much more experienced in European competition uh, than we are, and well, we we took to the pitch confident, and I, I really have to give credit to Luis Andrade because I can, I and everybody else had a little bit of criticism for him after the Sporting match, but as I. You know, revisited the match, and as I rethought it, I started to to perhaps see where he might have been coming from, and I think it paid dividends in this match um, that he tried some things against thing. I think he used it almost as a preseason match to prepare for this one, and <laughs> I remember reading as the ma- after the match was over, somebody tweeted, um, and I think it was one of the guys from from Benfica Independent. If I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong. I can't remember exactly who who tweeted it, but it was along the lines, and I'm translating, it was along the lines, oh, all of a sudden, Andrade knows what he's doing again. And it kind of felt like that, to be honest with you. I mean, but again, like I said, after rethinking the Sporting match, and after rewatching, I think I started to see what he might have been trying to do. And looking at the way he brought the team into this match against uh, against Anderlecht, I think he, he knew. And what he learned, I think, against the Sporting was that the team was not deep. And we know that. I've said that before. Okay, they've had to let a lot of quality players go. So there's a lot of quality still there, but there's fewer. There's, there's less. Okay. First 11, I'll take them. Um, we've got a first 11 that can match a lot of teams, you know, on our on our level. But after the first 11, there there is a bit of a drop-off. And um, I think... Luis Andrade real learned that once and for all in that Sporting match, and I think he gave some of the bench players a chance to to prove him wrong, and it didn't happen for them. They're not there yet. They're not ready for that yet. Uh, so I think the best the best bit of coaching that Luis Andrade did since I've I've followed this team was in this match where he didn't substitute. He essentially didn't. He made one substitute at the very end of the match, maybe two, but it, he really went 85, 86 minutes without substituting because he didn't want to dis- disturb the the din dy- the dynamic of the match. He didn't want to didn't want to um, offset anything, imbalance anything, and if someone. Wasn't begging to come out due to lack of fitness. He left him on. And I think that was the right decision. As we get into the second half, Anderlecht would make a substitution right at the half. And Miriam Toloba would come on for uh, Jarnet Tulings. And Toloba would make her second appearance in this match. And in the 55th minute, it got kind of of, uh, dangerous there. In the 55th minute, as we we would surrender. And it would be Charlotte uh, Tyson who would get on the end of a rebound that was spilled by Carolina Villon. But it was a hard shot. She made a good initial save, but the rebound stayed in the area and the Belgian forward puts it into the goal. And it is 1-0 to Anderlecht. And Befica now find themselves down again as they had prior to... As they had in the sporting match prior, um, they find themselves down. And the question is, how were they going to react, right? And the reaction was phenomenal. The reaction was absolutely phenomenal in this one. And now we're going to play a little bit of, of audio for you as we're going to see what happens here. And Befica pressing, okay? Anasisa down the left side, um, unable to really do anything with the ball she she makes an errant pass trying to put it into this into the path for Nicole Raizla. but Angelex goalkeeper is out trying to get it but she is pressured which is the first which is the first small victory here and then we get some nice work from Ana Vitoria in midfield to win the ball back and to poke it to her teammate poke it to Nic- Nicole her national team and club teammate and have a listen here. And uh, here is what transpired, courtesy of uh, Valdemar Duarte of BTv.
1: então não dá bola para Odar. Una vitória muito competitiva. Bola para Nicole. Chuta Nicole. Atirou, golo, marca a equipa do Benfica, Nicole Reisler. Eu estava mesmo a ver a bola lá dentro, excelente Ana Vitória. O trabalho da Ana Vitória é muito bom e a Nicole Reisler, um lance, repare bem aqui, a pressão da Ana Vitória, muito bem, depois a bola para Nicole e é um míssil para o fundo da baliza a fazer o golo da igualdade, 1 um a um marca Nicole Reisler.
2: É um, um bom golo, um golo uh, ali de, de fora da área, de pé esquerdo, para o posto mais distante de, de Odars, sem hipótese para a guardiã do, 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 do Anderlec, e o Benfica aqui a responder bem, através das suas jogadoras, uh, também elas uh, mais experientes a nível de, internacionais internacional. Internacional, exatamente, estamos a falar de duas internacionais do, do Brasil, que ainda agora voltaram a, a ser chamadas, precisamente pela,
0: pela
1: selecionadora do,
0: do Brasil, So it's Nicole Raisla with her first career Champions League goal in Europe, of course. Uh, The Brazil international, newly international, um, hits an absolute missile, as Valdemar said there. Uh, It starts, like we said, with the goalkeeper coming out and trying to play the ball uh, into midfield. Maybe miss kicks it a little bit, but Ana Vitoria is there to win it. Ana Vitoria outmuscles her opponent once again. I said earlier how Ana Vitoria was just too strong for for her counterparts in this one. And she manages to poke the ball into the space where Nicole is. Nicole manages to receive the ball on her right foot, set it up onto her preferred left foot. She creates enough space for herself, looks up, and fires an absolute missile. From the left center channel to the far right post, the goalkeeper did manage to get back in position after the miss kick. But however, the goalkeeper uh, set herself up too close to her right post. The ball went like a missile to her left, and she had no chance at all. And Benfica right back in at the exact reaction, the exact answer we all wanted. And Nicole celebrates with her entire team and her coach as Benfica draw level in the 62nd minute with plenty of time to play. And you could see that this team was believing in themselves. You could see this wasn't the same team that had played a few days earlier against their rival 70th minute and Anderlecht will go to the bench. Elke van Gorp comes on for Sarah Winans, and it is uh it is Elke Van Gorp's second appearance in the competition. 74th minute, and it is Anasaisa going into the book for a foul, a hard foul. The referee does not forgive this one and gives a yellow card to the 19-year-old converted left back. But we get to the 78th minute, and Befica again building out of the back, and this one comes with a nice long diagonal ball sent from center back Karol Kosta. Karol Kosta looks up, plays the ball into space right onto the run for Nicole Raisla, who runs the ball down, gets it on the edge of the penalty area, maybe a little bit closer to the touchline, deep in Anderlecht's defensive end. And have a listen to Valdemar one more time as we relive what happened. Nicole vai correr com Leinen. Espera Nicole o apoio.
1: Vamos lá ver. Nicole um para um. Vai entrar. Chutou. Nicole. Que golo! Que golo de Nicole Reisler. Goool! O do Benfica. Miúda. Espetáculo do Nicole Reisler. Ele a ganhar a Leinen. Depois encara com a adversária, reparem bem, vem no meio e míssil para a baliza. Mas que golo de Nicole Reisler! Esta vai para o portfólio da miúda. Que espetáculo! Que golaço! Este bem, a paleta é... pôs ali as mãos na cabeça. Sim, bem, e, que
2: golo! E, e com razão! Esta, meus amigos! Até as jogadoras do, do Anderlec puseram também várias delas as mãos na cabeça quando uh, viram a trajetória de, da bola do míssil disparado pela Nicole, que recebeu aqui. uma bola longa de, penso que foi a Carol Costa que faz a colocação da bola precisamente nas costas da defensiva do, do Anderlec e depois a Nicola a fazer um grande golo, um golo daqueles que normalmente faz parte da, do, dos melhores registros da, da, da jornada, neste caso da jornada europeia e este não, não falha vai lá estar, tal como também vai estar o primeiro, igualmente marcado pela and
0: if her first one was pretty, the second was twice as nice. Nicole Raisla absolutely eats the left-sided defender alive. She skins her, <laughs> coming in, cutting from the right, from the right corridor central towards the penalty area. With the ball on her left foot, does a little bit of a dazzle, turns the defender around, creates the space, and then fires an absolute rocket into the far po- into the far corner, upper corner, as we say here in the United States, into the upper 90 of the netting, the upper 90 degree angle, and there is not a goalkeeper in the world, male or female, that was going to save this one. This thing was hit perfectly, it had almost no spin, just enough to bend around and dip But this ball was on a line, and the Brazil international, Nicole Raisla, doubles her tally. And now Benfica in front in the UEFA Women's Champions League second preliminary round. Twelve minutes from time. Twelve minutes from the Champions League proper. And you can see it in their faces that they believe. You can see that this was meant to be for this group of players. A lot of them who have been there since day one. Here now, in their third season, their second season was cut short. Unfortunately, unable to to win the championship uh, officially last season. But they did enough to earn their spot in this competition. This was the goal of this project from day one, was to bring this team to the Champions League. And on the first attempt, this team does it. 81st minute, Anderlecht desperately trying to get back into it. We'll make another substitution. Sakina Diki will come in. Silke Leinen will come off. Seven minutes later, it's another substitution for Anderlecht. It is Michelle Colo- Colson coming on for Stefania Vatafu. As Anderlecht are throwing bodies forward, but if he could put under some pressure here now, it, it did look at times like this was going to be this was going to be tough to hold on to. 80, sorry, 90th minute, and it is. It is one of my favorites, Katarina Amado, and sh- she's going into the referee's book for a yellow card for a foul as Benfica claw and fight their way to hang on to this one. And had a couple of nervous chances there towards the end, but uh, the best one of them fell to the goal scorer, Thielsen, who missed, Thielsen, I should say, who did miss wide as Benfica was spared for that mistake. But the two central defenders, experienced central defenders, national team central defenders, they get the team calm. They get everything settled. Um, and in the 90th plus four, Luis Andrade finally makes his first substitution. He takes off the striker, Nicole Raizla, subs on a defensive-minded player, Beatriz Camero. And it's it's the dying moments. Benfica, hang on for dear life, has a 90 plus five. The referee Henrique Nervik will blow her whistle for full time and Benfica's bench clears on to the pitch. Benfica have qualified for the UEFA Women's Champions League on their first attempt. A historic, historic night for Benfica in Brussels. And I know this is the theme of so many podcasts and of so many when you talk football. It is a shame that there were no fans in the stadium in Brussels where there is a robust Portuguese community where Benfica is well supported. I do believe the fans would have turned out and supported this team and it would have been one heck of a celebration. But the team celebrated amongst themselves as shortly after the match you see the team making a giant circle in the in in the center circle with Luis Andrade in the middle singing his praises to his players and a job well done to the ladies as I remember, and I wish I had had been able to cover this game a lot sooner. Unfortunately, my schedule hasn't allowed for it. As you know, I'm falling way behind here in reviews, as you can tell. But um, my schedule's been absolutely crazy, and it's been hard to keep up. I have been able to watch the games, but that's about it. Rewatching and taking notes has not been as as easy to do recently, as the month of December is my absolute busiest month of the year with both my jobs. And right now, I'm sleeping about two hours a day and working the rest of the time. I'm technically on the clock working right now. Uh, gotta love that. Uh, You gotta love this uh, remote working from home stuff. Uh, allows me to kind of kill two birds with one stone as I am here now talking to you about this match. And it allowed me to watch this match also. Would not have been able to watch this if I were in the office. So, very happy about that. That aspect of it. But you could just you could just see and i remember i tweeted and i was on instagram that night about just i was i was swole, i was just overflowing with pride thanks to this team you you if you listen to me from the beginning you know just how much i love this team and just how much this team has has won me over how i have just fallen for this group of players and for this story and for this project and this mission of women's football At Benfica, I confess I was never really a big fan of women's football until Benfica got into it. And now, I am. I am ashamed to say that I was not a a big fan. I should have been. But, I am proud today to call myself the number one Benfica women's football fan in the United States of America. And, um, I gotta say that these players are awesome. You know, you, 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 you... throw out those instagram stories you throw out those tweets and they respond they they thank you for the time um they thank you for the time you put into watching them they're so humble this group of players is so humble they're immensely talented and they're so humble and I've been fortunate enough to exchange messages with a lot of them. And they are, they are so personable and, like I said, just so humble. And they're so grateful for all of the support they get. They should get more. And when, when and if these, these stadiums start having people in them again, you Keish says, you have to support this team and support this project. These players deserve it. Okay, They deserve it. These girls deserve it. They are playing their hearts out. They are wearing that badge with honor. They are fighting and clawing. And they are giving so much honor to the Benfica name and the Benfica badge. I couldn't be more proud of a group of players if they went on to win this competition. I wouldn't be any more proud of them because of the way they play, the attitude that they put forward, and the way that they represent our club. And it has been a magical run. To get to the Champions League proper. And congratulations, girls. Thank you. Thank you for making a fan out of me. Thank you. If not if not for them and for their, their effort. And their excellence and their performances. Over the past two and a half years. I wouldn't be sitting here right now in a microphone. Talking about them. They won me over. I didn't go looking for them. They won me over. And I'm... So glad that they did. I'm so glad that Benfica, it was late. It was way too late. It should have been done 10 years ago. But I'm so glad that Benfica finally put a women's football team together. It was late, but I suppose better late than never. The investment was put forward, and the investment was rewarded with this qualification. But now it's going to get real now. And the girls know that. They know what they're up against. And um, so the draw came out just, a, you know, about a week ago or two weeks ago now. And uh, I think could, Drew, Chelsea, Women's uh, Super League, Giants, Chelsea Football Club. That's right, the English side, Chelsea Football Club. Let's hear from the manager, Luis Andrade, as he uh, gave this, this comment earlier today, actually. Um, and I'm talking to you on Monday night, December the 7th. Um, this came out earlier today, uh, by way of Benfica social media. This is a little bit of a pre, pre-travel, pre or I should say a pre-match uh, comment, preview, if you will, from the manager, Luiz Andrade. Here's what he thinks of
3: Chelsea para conquistar a Liga Inglesa, não só a Liga Inglesa, mas também a Liga dos Campeões, é e, como tal temos que ter um, muito respeito por, 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 por esse clube. No entanto, nós trabalhamos diariamente para conseguir os nossos objetivos, conseguimos o nosso objetivo, estar nas 32 melhores equipas, e como tal, agora é jogo a jogo. É o Chelsea, muito, muita humildade em relação ao adversário que nós vamos encontrar, mas de qualquer maneira também acreditamos no nosso valor, acreditamos nos nossos atletas, no nosso trabalho e pronto, queremos dar uma boa resposta dentro das quatro linhas. É uma equipa muito muito ofensiva, muito agressiva à perda de bola, é uma equipa que gosta gosta de ter bola, portanto repare, todos os contextos que eu possa falar aqui do do, do nosso adversário serão sempre positivos. Agora com certeza que também há coisas menos, 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 menos boas, mas no entanto sabemos que que cada lance que vamos disputar é como se fosse a última bola. Nós vamos manter as nossas as nossas ideias de jogo, as nossas dinâmicas, a nossa vontade será determinante para para este contexto de, de, deste deste grande jogo. E como tal queremos eh, orgulhar os todos os adeptos do futebol feminino. Eh, Para aquilo que nós queremos, queremos, queremos fazer. Digo sinceramente que temos aqui atletas que um dia poderão estar também nomeadas para melhores jogadores do mundo. Acabou por ser positivo esta concentração total no, no Chelsea, não tendo outras, outras competições? Sem dúvida. Isto também foi fundamental para o nosso trabalho, nosso trabalho diário com a equipa, com o staff, trabalharmos o nosso adversário com mais tempo, com, com mais descanso eh, Agora, dentro das quatro linhas, temos que dar a resposta, porque não basta dizer que tivemos de esquecer e depois não, não dámos uma boa resposta. Queremos deixar todos os adeptos orgulhosos, os nossos os adeptos benfiquistas, orgulhosos do nosso comportamento, do nosso trabalho. E acho que não tendo adeptos, não tendo adeptos no nosso estádio, acho que elas vão levar os adeptos na, na cabeça para, poderem deixar, para deixá-los orgulhosos.
0: And so, uh, Luis Andrade there talking to the press earlier today, and I'm not going to translate the entire two minutes and 30 seconds of that statement, but I picked out the important things here. And um, what he said was, we know very well that Chelsea are 7th in the current rankings, and by that I think he's talking about the UEFA coefficient, which they are ranked 7th right now, and that they are a giant club from a big league. They are a team that invested very heavily this or a club that invested very heavily this year in their women's football team. They want very much to win the WSL and win the UEFA Women's Champions League. We will have to show them much respect on Wednesday, but we have worked extremely hard to achieve our objectives, and our main objective was to be among the 32 teams in the Champions League proper, and we did that. We are here now and we will strive to do as well as possible one match at a time now each match is its own story and um, the important thing is that we achieved our objectives now as we take it one match at a time he said we do believe in ourselves and our own quality and we'll do everything we can to compete Against a team that is a very attack minded and very aggressive and loves to play in possession. We want to make all of the supporters, both of Benfica and of women's football, proud, knowing we are up against a group, a number of players who are worthy of World Player of the Year nominations. And I'll stop it there. That is. Luiz Andrade, there's more in that interview. If you understand Portuguese, you can hear the rest of it there that I just played for you. You'll you'll notice other things that he said. Now, we talk about the type of players that we are up against in this match on Wednesday. The Most notable, of course, is one of the best players in the world, and I think this is who he's alluding to, Australia international Sam Kerr, um, former uh, star in the W. Sorry, in the NWSL here in the United States, Um, used to do double duty playing in the United States and in Australia because the two seasons uh, do not overlap. Now proudly wearing the badge for Chelsea Football Club. And Sam Kerr is off to a flying start this year. Uh, eight matches, and she's got seven goals in the WSL, including a hat trick this past weekend against West Ham United. How are Chelsea uh, doing? Well, they're doing very well. <laughs> Chelsea currently sit third in the WSL, uh, three points back of leaders Manchester United, but with a match in hand. So it's Manchester United with 20 points, Arsenal with 19, and Ch- Chelsea. With 17, Chelsea, of course, with only 7 matches played. 5 victories, 2 draws, yet to lose this season. So, Benfica have a very, very tall order ahead of them. And again, like Luis Andrade said, this is a team that invested heavily. This is a team that wants to win their league and wants to compete to try to break the homogeny of Olympique Leon in this competition, in this UEFA Women's Champions League. Now, important to note, from here on out, this until the final at least, which that's way in the future. But uh, this round is played over two legs. So Befica get to, for the first time in their history, play a women's Champions League match at home. Disappointed it's not at the louche. I think that that would have been appropriate, given the occasion that would have shown the commitment to the program that I think the club should have shown. But I'm not going to complain. This match is going to be played at Seychelles, which is a lot better than at the Tepedinha. And um, I don't know why, but the match is scheduled for 3 p.m. on Wednesday. Um, I'm guessing it's some kind of uh, COVID mandate ordinance that's in. Play for win matches can be played, but the match will kick off. 3 p.m. Lisbon time, which is 10 a.m. my time here on the east coast of the United States. Uh, 7 a.m. Pacific time, for those of you listening out there. So I'm looking forward to it. I'll be getting home from one job. It The game fits right between my two jobs, which uh, has me excited. Uh, 10 o'clock kickoff, just as I'm getting home, I'll be able to watch this one. And I'm very excited to see what our girls can do against such a strong team. It's going to be important to try to stay in range, can't let a team this powerful come in and blow it wide open early. Um, again, unfortunately, we won't have supporters. But at that time of day, it would have been hard to have supporters anyway. But if not for the restrictions, I don't think the match would be played in the middle of the day. Anyways, it would have been played at a proper uh, evening kickoff to get some supporters to the Seychelles. But either way, the team has not played since the the, the previous victory over Anderlecht, okay, there was an international break immediately following. They didn't play a league match or a cup match that following weekend. And uh, the players went off to international duty. They've been back. They've had about a week, a week and a couple days to prepare for this match. Luis Andrade also talked about that later in that interview. He talked about the extra time and how much they're going to appreciate that. And now they need to go ahead and make the most of that extra time that they were given. Um is uh, this is a moment uh, you know this is a huge moment in the lives of these players i cannot stress this enough you only get to debut once okay this is the uefa champions league this is the biggest women's football competition on planet earth at the club level there's no question about it no it's not the nwsl here in north america that's a one league in one country and there isn't even a any thing that resembles a continental championship for them to go on to this is the big time the uefa women's champions league i think this is the future of women's football i think you're going to see all of the top women's players in the world playing in europe very soon and um i think you're going to see them leaving these north american teams i i truly do because of this competition because of the uefa women's champions league in the global the global stage that that puts them on, okay? Not just, um, not just you know, for uh, playing at big clubs and, and with good followings. I mean, that helps because, you know what? At the end of the day, um, these European clubs, they may not pay a lot of money. Some of them do. I mean, some of the top clubs have very, very expensive payrolls, especially in comparison to Befica. But the training facilities are second to none over there. Um, the comp- the level of competition is better than it is here. At, at least, um, at the continental in the continental sense, uh, you have so- most of the best players in the world already there. I think very soon you will see all of the best players in the world playing in Europe, leaving to go to Europe. I mean, you're already seeing some American players playing in the WSL. Okay, you got uh, Kristen Press, you got Alex Morgan, you've got. Um, I'm just got a good half dozen to, to to a dozen American world champion players playing in England now, and I think that's exciting. I think that's much more exciting than playing for a quote-unquote franchise here in the United States. Okay, They're playing for clubs with history, with supporters, with a badge that, that supporters live and die for, and they have the men's teams to piggyback off of. And I mean that in the best way. I mean they have bigger budgets as a result. They have better facilities as a result. We saw last season, or two seasons ago, um, during international breaks, when the men's teams go on international breaks, the women's teams go play in the big stadiums. Juventus drew 60,000 in a match. Bayern Munich has drawn 30,000, 40,000 in a match. There was a Manchester derby played in front of 30,000 already. This is... It, it, the the game is just growing This is the future And it's on the cusp And I think it's exciting That the women's game is about to really blow up in Europe And I'm glad Benfica is there Because if they didn't get in there now They were going to miss the train So I'm very excited that Benfica is there And I can't. I'm excited for this match on Wednesday Whatever happens I'm proud of these girls I'm proud of what they did Any of them that may or may not be listening, I'm proud of you. The mister loves you. We're in your corner 100%, and I can't wait to watch this match on Wednesday. All right, that's going to do it for episode 98. Like I said, I know I'm a little bit behind. So coming up in episode 99, it will be a review of Benfica's two UEFA Europa League matches. Okay, so we're going to kind of... They're kind of going to go out of order because I'm, earlier in this episode, we talked about the league match at Maritibu. I'm going to talk about the two Europa League matches. And then by the end of the week, we're going to get into uh, this past weekend. Yesterday's victory, last-minute victory over Passo Fajeda at home. And we got more coming up. We've got we've got Europa League still to go this week. This Thursday, maybe we can wrap up the group stage on the road at Standard Liège in Belgium. Uh, trying to keep that streak of Benfica of <laughs> wins in Belgium that's gone on this season, of course, that the girls started. And then this weekend, I got the TASA show episode two coming up because it is a TASA weekend. So lots coming and I'm going to do everything I can to get this content out to you guys. I appreciate everybody's patience or bearing with me through my very, very busy period. Like I said, I sleep about two, three hours a night and I work about 18 hours a day. So between two jobs it's absolutely nuts right now um but i'm gonna still bit by bit try to put these episodes together this episode you just listened to was recorded across the span of three different days so again little by little i'll get these things out there and get these episodes out to you and as always i I thank you for your patience with me and i as always appreciate everybody's Everybody supporting everybody listening to this podcast that has become um, very, very important to me. Obviously, it's been a, become very much a part of who I am. And hey, we're, we're knocking on the door of episode 100. It is right around the corner. And uh, I, I'm excited, obviously, to get there. And also, it, it, it just, like I said, the the outpouring of support from everybody, the emails, the questions, the comments, I love it all. Thank you, everybody. Um, if you want to, you can follow me on Twitter at Benfica Mister, On Instagram at MrBenfica, you know where to find me on Facebook, www.facebook.com forward slash MrBenfica. You can also uh, follow me, or I should say, uh, fo- follow the YouTube channel at YouTube. Uh, it's just Mr. Benfica. Don't forget also www.mrbankfica.com I'm gonna try to get some try to get another article up there this week I'm gonna try to at least write an article once a week for you guys uh keep everything going and I I will update the standings page as well probably as soon as I finish recording this podcast and um right now a lot of the parking the bus stuff is on hiatus it's just it's a little bit too much and my priorities right now is completely with the Mr. Bayfica audience um my my original my originals. Um so thank you for listening and I will catch you later this week. Alright, this has been Mr. Benfica, episode ninety-eight. I am the Mr. Mike Agostino signing off. And don't forget, as announced at the top of the episode, uh this this podcast now available in some more locations. So if you're an Amazon user, check us out on Amazon and on Audible. Uh that those are interchangeable also now available on iHeartRadio and at radio.com all right that's going to do it for episode 98 thank you and i'll catch you next time here on Mr Benfica força benfica carrega benfica somos benfica e pelouros um of many one de todos um bye everybody